0: Welcome to Stories for Change, an offshoot of my podcast where I share stories that will hopefully help us become better allies. If you would like to use my platform to promote your work or share your perspective, please send me an email at storieswithsapphire at gmail.com. When we think of historical movements in American history, people of color are typically excluded from the narrative. And as non-Black allies, we need to be aware of how to make our allyship more inclusive. In this episode, me and my guest Mindy Scott will be going over these movements. We are not experts on the topic and simply want to share what we've learned, and so we welcome any feedback or corrections.
1: Hi everyone, my name is Mindy Scott. I am a blogger on Instagram over at Mindy City and I consider myself a anti-racist, body-positive, trans-inclusive, intersectional feminist. Um, Basically, I've just really seen a need in my own personal life to be more educated. I grew up in a predominantly white community I played on a travel basketball team where I was the only white girl, and seeing that there was such a difference between where I grew up and my friends that lived, you know, 20, 30 minutes away from me um, in another city, it really opened my eyes at a young age and really just made me question things. So um, I am by no means an expert in the history of this sort of movement, but I am an individual who's trying to be more educated, and help to make the world a better place.
0: July 4th is right around the corner, what we celebrate as America's Independence Day. But today, June 19th, celebrates the day when every American was
1: freed. As a country, you know, so many people celebrate the 4th of July. I know even where I work, we get a day off celebrated with fireworks. And this is known as our Independence Day. Um, It's a federal holiday in the United States commemorating the Declaration of Independence. And that was on July 4th, 1776. Um, The Continental Congress declared that the 13 American colonies were no longer um, subordinate to, you know, to Britain and King George III. Um, So essentially, like this is celebrating the freedom of the United States. But this is not freedom for all. This is freedom for white people. Um, When you look at Juneteenth, it's an American holiday celebrated annually on June 19th, called Juneteenth, also known as Freedom Day or Jubilee Day. Um, I have even heard other people say that it's Black Independence Day for the fact that on June 19th, 1865, when all previously enslaved people were then freed. So, in the Emancipation Proclamation, had previously "quote unquote" freed all black people, um, but it they still weren't free everywhere. So, in Galveston, Texas, there were still people that were enslaved. So, on that day is when they too received their freedom. So, that was the true Freedom Day in 1865. As we know, obviously, black people were not still fully free. Um, it's still then turning into a lot of like, sharecropping and problematic practices. And we're still fighting for equality today. So official freedom 1865. Here we are 2020. Black Lives Matter. And we still have a ways to go. So. History is taught in our country
0: from the perspective of the white citizen and ignores the vastly different experiences of non-white people, which is why in 1989, Kimberly Crenshaw coined the term intersectionality. It's a framework for conceptualizing a person, group of people, or social problem as affected by a number of discriminations and disadvantages. For example, we think of 1920, 100 years ago, as the year that women gained the right to vote. But again, that was only true for white women. Black women not only had to fight racial injustice, but misogyny on top of that. Intersectionality takes into account these overlapping experiences.
1: And I should also say that I have a podcast um with my friend Rachel that is called Femlore. We basically look at stories and really kind of try to dissect how gender and just specifically how these stories like how women are portrayed and how it makes us think about women through these fairy tales and stories that were just fed from such a young age. um, It's really important to take a step back and think about that because, you know, all these systems, all these ideas were made up and we have to decide for ourselves. But so intersectional feminism um, in a more technical term, it really helps to like have a broader view of feminism because usually it Even this is like whitewashed. It usually was talking about the perspective and the issues of white women. But intersectional feminist includes different experiences from, you know, women of color um, based on class, um, immigrant women, other groups. I, too, saying that I'm trans inclusive and I'm sure there's going to be something else that I'll learn through my journey of being a feminist and I'll be able to realize, you know what, like that should be included and that's another perspective too.
0: The women's suffrage movement was a long and complex one. It began with Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton in 1869, two white women abolitionists
1: who met at a convention. They both were women that were already really trying to help make a difference. Susan B. Anthony had focused on the temperance movement, which at the surface was really seen as something to say that, like, you know, people shouldn't drink. But um, she saw it as a way to help women who were being abused by their husbands, who were being raped in their marriage, who were, um, you know the income that was coming into the home they had no access to it um they had no say they had no voice to what was happening to them so all of these women just you know saw this connection of the rights between women and slaves and knew that both of them needed to improve so that's what they set out to do then basically you know they're still fighting they're still fighting and finally the 15th amendment is proposed in 1869. And this one was where like they were very close to having women included. It said, basically, the rights of all US citizens to vote shall not be denied based on race, color, or previous condition of servitude. So they were fighting with the legislation and um, trying to have sex included in that. Um, And a man that I think most of us know in the movement, Frederick Douglass, he had been supportive of women getting the right to vote because he said, you know, obviously, women can't have influence in making things better for their own lives if they don't have the rights to vote, like, same as what we're experiencing as slaves. So he too kind of saw the connection. And then when the 15th Amendment came up, him and Susan B. Anthony kind of had a famous back and forth in the Congress, because he stood up and just said, the priority of what needs to happen right now is including the vote for black men. Your movement for women to have the right to vote will have to wait. This is where the movement began to split. It then split into two groups within the predominantly white suffragette movement. One was more conservative, as they called it. um, And they did not want to have to include black women. So they were trying to pass and propose that um, it should be state by state, um, even if the different chapters included black women in like the women's movement groups. Um, And Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony were totally opposed to that. They were more quote unquote radical. And they even came out with their own newspaper that was for women, fully printed by women. Um, It included stories of black and white women. And they were still just really trying to move forward. But there was all these different setbacks. And now here we are. I mean, Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton have been fighting for Over 50 years, they're getting really old, they were starting to see that the women's right to vote wouldn't happen in their lifetime. But essentially, there came a time when Susan B. Anthony said, you know, we're not going to be able to do this separate, like the women's movements have to unite. And Elizabeth Cady Stanton was not aligned. Um, She actually at that time then went back to London um, and was kind of saying, I don't want to be a part of this because I don't agree. uh, Because she saw that within aligning that was leaving out black women. Um, Susan B. Anthony kept pushing here in the US and finally got Elizabeth Cady Stanton to come back for this joint movement and to be president of this joint group of that exclusive and inclusive, you want to call it that way, parts of the movement. So she came back, but as she was getting older herself, she just kept getting more and more radical. And she eventually published um, a book that I think is really cool called The Woman's Bible. And she published that in 1895. But with that, it upset so many of the conservative women within the movement that they Basically pushed to have her um, eradicated from the movement because they said it was like so extremely radical for a woman to have those thoughts and it was so inappropriate. She just said that religion was oftentimes used to keep women as subordinates, um, but she saw equality and androgyny of God. There, you know, within the Bible, it says that male and female were created in the image of God. So she would always say, Thank you, you know, to a male and female God, because how can man and women be made in the image of God unless God is both? And that was just such radical <laughs> like thought for the time. And it really, you know, made all these other white women like clutch their pearls, if you may, like, oh, oh my God. Um and so yeah, they wanted her out of the movement. Um, and yeah, that was in 1895. And she actually passed away in 1905, kind of, you know, stayed out of the movement. And women were still fighting this whole time, but Susan B. Anthony was still a part of it and really trying to just train the next generation to make sure that they would keep this going. And then they've been fighting for something like 50 or 60 years. Um, she passed away when she was like 86 or something, I believe. And it's not until 1920, women finally got the right to vote with the 19th Amendment. But I should say, um, of course, this still was very problematic because it restricted and hindered the ability for non-white women to vote. So um, 1920, the 19th Amendment, which is oftentimes like looked at and celebrated and people say, oh, this is when women got the right to vote. But that was only white women. Native American women didn't get the right to vote until
0: 1924. Puerto Rican women had to wait until 1935.
1: And Chinese American women gained the right in 1943. It was not until 1965, with the Voting Rights Act of 1965, gave all women the right to vote. You know, if you're looking at the beginnings of the feminist movement and what women were fighting for, the lens that they were looking through to like say, you know, women want to be equal, they were basing everything off of what white women were feeling and thinking. It was not intersectional in considering um, other classes, even um, other races. It was looking at like white suburban women who were staying at home and raising the children. And we obviously know like that is not every woman. In America, that was like it, that was leaving people out. And I think that that's just important to talk about because that in itself was a movement that was started in trying to bring more rights to people and that was st- like trying to help make things better. But even that was leaving so many people out and really harmful. It can be really harmful when you're only looking at one story. A quote that I recently heard and I really liked from um, Jane Elliott, who is a anti-racist educator. A lot of people know her from this really impactful study that she did, the Blue Eye Brown Eye study. If you haven't seen it, YouTube that. It's um, just really amazing. Um, but the way that history is taught in schools, it is not only whitewashed, like, but the fact that it's white people being well, in all races, being indoctrinated with these white supremacy views. And hearing her as an educator and a person that I respect, that really kind of like shook me to the core. And when you think about it, it is. I mean, everything that's taught in school, like all of those things originally were created by white Men. I mean, even when you look at Sojourner Truth, I mean, she was doing so much and she was working with Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton, and she was extremely helpful in that first wave of what they were doing. But you don't hear her credited. When you hear about women getting the right to vote, you're hearing um, Susan B. Anthony, not Sojourner Truth. And I think a lot of people think about Sojourner Truth as oh, well, because she was black and she's a woman that I've heard her name before in history, like she must have just been focusing on helping to end slavery, which she very much was. But she also was helping at the very beginning stages of the fight for equal rights for women. Another movement that has been whitewashed is the body positivity movement. I do some body positive blogging. Even in that movement, there's definitely been some whitewashing. And um, when you really look at diet culture, which we all know too well, um, the pursuit of thinness really is a pursuit of not trying to be black or accepting of black women. And um, there was a really great post that just – really opened my eyes fuller to this from Monique Melton at Mo Motivate on Instagram. Um, If you want to look her up, she was part of the recent um, Share the Mic Now movement. And she just has some amazing posts, one on Toxic white femininity. You can't only be a feminist when it benefits you. And intersectional feminism really makes you think about for all women. Because I think a problem with the white feminist movement, and Monique talks about it here in her post, but the fact that like a lot of white women will be feminists when it's convenient for them. But then if they are like, scared of a black man or saying, you know, like Amy Cooper is just such a great example of saying that, oh, well, I was scared. So I had to call somebody who would come help me, you know, being able to then flip it and rely on like white male superiority and them being like thinking that they can come in and save the day kind of thing. Like you're then backing out of what you had been saying as a feminist. So that's a real problem that I have with it reading things like this take me back to my experience as a large child. Um, I was way bigger than my friends. I grew up in like white suburbia and I was on the swim team. I played sports, quite a, a, like athletic build. But yeah, I had a growth spurt. I was already like, I don't know, like 5'4 in like fifth grade. And I definitely just yeah had an early growth spurt. And my white friends would always ask me like, how come you're so much bigger than me? How come you're, one of your thighs is the size of two of mine? And just like doing these comparisons and being like, you know, why are you bigger and all of these things? And it wasn't until I played on a travel basketball team um, where I then was the minority and um, my teammates were saying things about my body in a positive light. And that I think just really kind of aligns with everything that Monique is saying here too. Like I was being indoctrinated and brainwashed into thinking that my body was bad that was the first time that I was able to really step back and say like, this is messed up. Like who's making these rules? And I, at that time, obviously I didn't know enough to know how toxic and ingrained these things are. I don't know. Thinking back on that experience, it's kind of wild. And I wish that I had had other tools. I wish I had known more, but I Yeah, so if I've said anything that was offensive, or if I've missed the mark, I really hope that people would reach out. Um, I also know that it's not up to black people to educate me. I really am trying to educate myself in so many different ways. But just throwing that out there, I'm always here to learn. And I I hope that all of the rest of the listeners are too. So yeah, thanks for having me. Um, These kind of whitewashed movements that we've just seen for so, so long in our history, um, we've got to do better and make a change. Thanks so much for
0: listening. I've included links in the show notes to the articles mentioned in this episode, along with other helpful resources for learning how to be a more intersectional feminist. If you would like to use my platform to promote your work or share your perspective, please send me an email at storieswithsapphire at gmail.com. Salamat and good night.